This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jaime Murillo, Senior Vice President and Chief Cardiometabolic Health Officer of United Health Group. Dr. Murillo, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It is my pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, uh, I'm a Senior Vice President and Chief Cardiometabolic Health Officer at United Group. I'm actually part of the Optum Labs, which is the research and innovation arm of United Health Group, where we really have a real passion for research, especially when it comes to how we can make healthcare work better for everyone and improve the lives of other people we serve, which is our, our mission. Um, my background is in academic research, both in basic sciences and outcomes research. Uh, I also have a background in computer sciences and artificial intelligence. I actually did practice cardiology for almost 20 years and uh, had uh, several positions within a not-for-profit healthcare system before I joined United Healthcare back in 2018. And I built a cardiovascular team within United Healthcare and then moved to the current position last year. Fantastic. So uh, what made you want to make that leap from practicing cardiology to getting into more of what you're doing now? Um, with United Health Group and Optum in terms of looking at the research, looking at you know artificial intelligence and some of the different ways that technology can really make an impact on healthcare and healthcare delivery. Uh, my favorite question is this. So the the reason is uh, in two words is simple innovation. That I, I used to wake up every day thinking, how can I apply all this experience that I have had serving people as a cardiologist to make healthcare better. And I felt that in my position, I was being able to affect millions, not millions, but maybe thousands of people. And I wanted to really get to the point where I could affect millions of people. So having that conversation with United Health Group, it made me realize that they were genuinely interested in making that change and transforming care uh, on behalf of, of people. And that's that's all it took for me to say, I'm making that leap. Is that, as you know, going from clinical to join in a health plan is not an easy transition for anyone, but in reality, it has been an incredibly productive relationship that has allowed me to um, join forces with um, United Health Group and applied all that, those concepts that I had in my mind for so many years. Fantastic. Well, that's great to hear, and I'm really looking forward to talking more about this topic with you. What are, your, are the top three biggest issues in cardiology today from your perspective? Yes. There are several ones, uh, but I'm I'm the top three. The number one actually is is a very concerning one for us, is which is the rising cardiovascular mortality over the past ten years. And many of you have seen the 2021 American Heart Association Stroke and Heart Disease Annual Report that came out in February, showing that the cardiovascular mortality continues to to go up, and and that's true for both male and female, which is a contrast to the previous 50-year decline that we observed when we thought that it was going to be the second cause of mortality to cancer and actually took a sharp uh, curve up. The number two issue is a very basic one, which is we have a very suboptimal control of just basic risk factors like hypertension and hypercholesterolemia. It's amazing to know that two-thirds of people still don't have those basic risk factors well under control. And also 
the concerning part, um, in addition to it, is the fact that there's at least 20, 30% of people out there that have not diagnosed uh, cardiovascular disease, and we need to find them. Um, and the third one is the lack of alignment of cardiovascular practice with primary care. Cardiovascular uh, practice continues to be very siloed, and uh, we need to change that because the incentives for practice are not the right ones necessarily, and uh, that also leads to fragmented care. Got it. That makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting to think about you know all of those different trends coming together. I'm wondering, given your position and where you're at in the innovation cycle, what types of solutions are you seeing you know, emerging for some of these issues, whether it's making sure you're reaching out and identifying those who may not know they have a cardio disease but you know, really need to know, and then um, making sure that you're staying connected with the primary care physicians as well? Yes. I mean, if you, if you think about those three issues that I just mentioned, they're, they're all connected. Because if we have um, um, optimal primary care practice that is able to reach out to people and they work uh, um, on par with the cardiologist and they ensure optimal control of their basic risk factors, that's going to result in better care and lower incidence of cardiovascular events and mortality. That alone is true. But there's also another area where I think that's where Optum Labs at United Health Group we have an opportunity to go further and we actually do it, which is, can we actually change the paradigm of waiting for people to come to us, to the doctors with chest pain or shortness of breath or symptoms or treating them only when they have a cardiovascular event like a stroke or heart attack and then go out of there and say, hey, you actually are at a higher risk and you may not know it, but we're going to find disease intercept disease is how we call it. And then um, it's not a program to both control those basic risk factors we talk about, find new risk factors that we may not have seen. Uh, and we do that using a retrospective analysis and then applying more comprehensive innovation lifestyle uh, changes to prevent those people um, from progressing to um, adverse outcomes. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us. How do you see heart care evolving over the next 18 months or so? Yeah, there are quite a few trends, actually. It's very interesting, but I think that one of the best things about healthcare is that we're finally catching up to other industries. We're starting to see changes that are going to beneficially impact um, the consumer, in this case, you know, patients, members, however you want to addressed uh, them, but in general people. Uh, one of them is a trend that we already have seen, which is more cardiovascular care is going to be provided in the outpatient space. Um, so that's a big one. The other one is something that is coming and whether it's going to be more um, impactful in the next 18 months or longer, uh, without which to be seen yet, but we see a new and ex already existing non-traditional companies coming with innovative concepts. In, uh, into the healthcare space. And we have to pay attention because the, tradi the traditional model of healthcare today is not what is going to be tomorrow. The other aspect that I just alluded to is the more consumer engagement. We have always practiced healthcare around where the physician establishes or the provider establishes their uh, modus operandi. The reality is we need to be more attentive to the consumer needs 
But we also need to be more attentive to how convenient it is for them and engage them, empower them, facilitate their own care. So consumer engagement is a key one. The, the other trend that I will think, can think of, especially you know, after having joined United Health, is the fact that payers and large employers can actually play out a more active role in ensuring that uh, the members and their employees have better care. And in the past, it's been more of a passive approach to it. And I think now they can be more assertive in a positive way in terms of both, uh, both uh, uh, cost containment and, and, and also outcomes-based approach. And the last two that I will mention um, is that um, disparities in care. Everybody know, I know it's not part of the conversation. We actually, in our retrospective analysis of cardiovascular care, we're actually starting to see that very vividly that um, Black Americans, for instance, are more affected by not having blood pressure well controlled, uh, for instance, that we see uh, glycemia, sugar more elevated among Asians, uh, which is an interesting trend. We, we, we know that Hispanics have uh, that as well. Uh, so we're trying to identify gaps in care where we can target uh, better care. And the last one, which I think is an exciting one, is how virtual care can really impact um, the um, uh, care because it's going to be it's going to build that ecosystem where people can connect directly to their care and not have to wait you know three to six months to see a doctor or wait until they go to the emergency room or the hospital. That's a really interesting point and great to think about you know how people are able to be more proactive about their care and use some of the virtual platforms to um, really head anything off that that could be progressing. What are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? Well, excited, uh, the good news is that I feel more excited than nervous in general. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things about that I'm excited about in the future. Is One is uh, something that I alluded to, which is can we design a more targeted approach to both diagnosing and treating cardiovascular disease before either people develop symptoms or before they actually end up in the hospital with a heart attack or a stroke. So that part I think is, is exciting, is, is targeted approach, finding disease before it's too late. The other aspect is the use of digital technology and, and signal collection. You know, can you know, people either wearables or non-wearables, can we detect signals that indicate that they are, uh, they actually are in, in need of help or they are um, having changes that they may not even feel yet, but will allow us to uh, engage them in their own care and also detect uh, before they actually decompensate. The, the other one I'm excited about is what I also mentioned, building that ecosystem where people receive care and, and advice at their convenience and on a timely basis. And you just think about the banking industry, for instance, you know, when's the last time you went to a bank? Uh, so you can really get care in, in a, I'm not advocating completely eliminating face-to-face. -face. We know trust is, is, is very important between providers and, and patients, but we also know that doctors are very busy and that they can actually take care of people when they actually need, need them the most. And then there are other parts of the healthcare that can be done on uh, uh, either virtual or, or using technology. And the last one that I'm very excited about is this concept of going upstream. Let's not just focus on cardiovascular disease. Can we actually prevent cardiovascular disease and see cardiovascular disease as a result of behavioral changes as a result of mental health, as a result of metabolic disorders, 
as a result of obesity and as a result of disparities in care. So I think we have a huge opportunity to prevent cardiovascular disease if we think about going upstream. And then the nervous part, um, yeah, there are a couple of things that may make nervous and probably more of them related to this restlessness. Uh, can we do things fast enough? You know, how soon and effectively can we start reversing those trends um, by going upstream, as, as I mentioned, and, and capturing uh, or intercepting disease before it becomes symptomatic or before people have bad events. Um, and then the other one is, uh, I don't think we're moving fast enough in terms of building economic and financial platforms that will incentivize providers to be more proactive. In other words, that we're not moving fast enough from a fee-for-service system to a value and outcomes-based approach. So that to me is key because that will prevent people from pr providing fragmented healthcare uh, and also from uh, taking the wrong incentives. If we pay someone to control the blood pressure and the cholesterol, that's better than paying for a visit, right? It makes total sense. So things like that, I think we have a, a lot of opportunities to move forward in that direction, but we're not doing it fast enough. Got it, got it. Thank you so much for describing those to us. I think, you know, it's really critical, as you mentioned, and interesting to think about um, how aligning those incentives can really make a difference for the way um, clinicians and physicians think about their care, the way that patients are being proactive as well. Before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Yes, uh, and I would say, you know, uh, uh, beyond physicians and anybody who's providing care, because I see care, and here's where we have an opportunity I didn't talk so much about, but which is building teams around the patients. It's not just the physician, it's not just the cardiologist, it, it really is the, the advanced practice clinicians, the nurses, the social workers, the pharmacists. So I would say a couple of, maybe two or three things. One is the concept of integration with primary care allow the primary care to drive a lot of that care that cardiologists do today that cardiologists don't necessarily feel excited about. You know, we want to practice at, uh, at the top of our licensure. If, if I get someone who has a complex problem that I can tackle, then I can use that expertise better and then collaborate with the primary care physician in taking that comprehensive approach. To so integration of care, I think is, is a key part of, part of, uh, of care. The second one I would advise for those emerging uh, providers is to focus on what I said, outcome and value-based care. When you have a patient in front of you, think, uh, how can I make sure that this person is doing better six months from now, as opposed to, you know, I'm going to give you an appointment in three or six months, kind of automatically. Really, can, I, can this person have a better life uh, because I'm taking care of them? And then, and also that I get paid for it, right? So we need, it's not just one person making a decision. It has to be an agreement. I think that's where payers have an opportunity also to enter this space by, by providing that economic incentive, um, along with CMS, of course, uh, to do that. And the, the final advice that I will say is, is be creative. Design pilot programs in your market. Push for payment reforms and, and that will allow you provide that comprehensive approach and, and have the time to talk to people about lifestyle changes, behavioral changes, social conditions, use of technology and, and telehealth so that the, you have time to talk to people about what really matters and not just writing a prescription because at the end of the day, we know there's only so much of, of prescription of um, drug therapy can do for one person. Really, it's more of a comprehensive approach, but they need to be 
recognized for that. And I think that that's designing innovation around that concept is 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 going to be good because it's good, it can show um, that everybody will benefit, and then we'll have the support of both society and and health plans and 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 the government as well. Dr. Murillo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Same here. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to build this dialogue and looking forward to uh, expanding on it uh, in a future podcast.